All right. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Uh, I'm your host, Jonathan Sadler. Uh, got Dan Bunting with me. How are you doing today, Dan? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Good. It's good to see you. Welcome back. We didn't have you last week, so we're, yeah. we're, we're hit and miss on some of the regular guys. Justin's in another <laughs> country, and Scott's got work that he's, that he's doing, so uh, sometimes people are here and not, so... Uh, but it's just Dan and I here today, and so we're going to continue, I think, our discussion in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, mm-hmm. we, left, we left off right at the end of Mark. Scott and I made it through uh, verse 52, so we're ready for verse 53 in Mark chapter 6. Um, so, Dan, I don't know, you want to get us started there? Yeah, I'll go ahead and I'll read that. Uh, uh, chapter 6, verses 53 through 56, just closing out the chapter. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, in city or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Uh, cool. So not a lot of information that Mark gives in this moment. It's interesting to compare, I think, this with some of the other Gospels, especially John chapter 6. Mm-hmm. Um, John 6 gives a lot more details about maybe this time period or this interaction that Jesus has with the people. So he's fed the 5,000 um, and then kind of dismissed them all, sent them away. Uh, and then he's gone up on a mountain to pray by himself. He sent the apostles across the sea by themselves. And then he walks on the sea, they see him, they're afraid, he gets in the boat with them, and then they get to the other side of the sea, and the crowds are there waiting for him. Um, they, they immediately see him, they start running together and trying to get him to do miracles, heal them, all that sort of stuff. And Jesus does that, which is really cool, it shows Jesus's mercy. Um, but the only point that I want to make, and then if you have something else that you want to make about this, is what Jesus um, notices about these people in John chapter 6. Um, this is the same account in John 6, verse 22. It says, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but that the disciples had gone away alone. And other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got in the boats and they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him, the God, the Father has set his seal. Um, And then he has a long conversation with them afterwards, but Jesus really cuts to the point with these guys. Um, Jesus had been doing some really magnificent things, some really wonderful things for them, healing the sick feeding them in desolate places, all kinds of different things. But Jesus really identifies their motivation for wanting to be around him. Um, And this is interesting and something for us to think about for ourselves too. Um, Does Jesus bless people? Absolutely. Does he bless his people? Yeah, absolutely. He gives them blessings. The father gives us blessings. But Jesus notices that these people want to come to him, not because they're interested about who Jesus really is and what the meaning of the signs and the miracles are that he's doing and and the eternal principles involved. 
but they just want another free meal. <laughs> they, they want more food. They want more blessings. They want, it's almost like kind of the vending machine mentality of, you know, I want Jesus to give me my meal today <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and then, you know, I'll be good. And Jesus tells them, that's not the attitude that you should be having. Don't work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that endures to eternal life. And he goes on later in John 6 to say, I am the bread of life. Um, Life is in me. And so we need Jesus. But that's interesting to think about. Even in spite of that, though, in Mark's account, it says Jesus was still healing people and still being gracious and merciful and patient with him even though their motivation was kind of all mixed up, but he does still identify. You guys have the wrong motivation, the wrong attitude here. You need to fix that. And we'll see in, at the end of John six, it doesn't say it here in, in Mark six, but at the end of John six, um, people leave. They, when, when Jesus says that they say, well, if that's how it's going to be, then we're gone. Yeah. And, um, and Jesus lets them leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, you have something else you want to say about that? Yeah. What I think is interesting is when, when, when you're comparing the two different gospel, I mean, not just the two different gospel accounts, but all the all the different accounts, you you, you try to figure out what's. I got to be careful. Why did God bother? Or what is God's point? We can't always know for sure, but we're trying to understand why did God include this. And in in John's account, like you're talking about, there's so much more information. There's a lot of doctrine, and there are a lot of lessons that are there in John. Mark doesn't include that. And it kind of can lead you to think, why does Mark include anything at all? Mm-hmm. So I try to figure out, well, what what's the important uh, importance or what value is there in the little bit that he supplies? And one of the differences between what Mark and John, uh, John are doing, John seems to speak about that very day and that one little location where Jesus was. And Mark here is talking about wherever he went in the villages, in the city, in the countryside, kind of gives the impression that he's talking, that these verses are talking about more than just maybe the one day when he just arrived, that it's following on and where Jesus goes to. And absolutely on that first day after Jesus's sermon in John chapter six, a lot of people leave and that's a significant idea. But as he would go from place to place, whatever town, whatever village, whatever bit of countryside, people were still coming to him. Maybe that's the difference on why he's he's so willing to heal. And so what we have here in Mark is that um, that Jesus, uh, wherever he's going, he's still doing these uh, these things for little people. He's still blessing and healing the small people, the insignificant, the, the people in the countryside, not the powerful people in the cities. He's helping everyone, and he's helping a lot of people here. In the beginning of Mark, he said, this is not why I'm here. I'm here to to preach. Let's go from town to town. Let's go to the next town so I can keep preaching there. My job is not just to heal every person alive. Um, His job was was to teach more than to physically heal. But he still does that here. Uh, even though we are in the second half of his ministry, when he's winding down, when he's getting closer and closer to his death, I think it's significant that Jesus takes so much time to heal people. Even if a lot of people leave him after some of his sermons, he's still turning around to do this this work. That says a lot about his heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 that's a really good point. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, so, so that kind of wraps up Mark chapter six, just a little bit more details of some of the works and things that Jesus is doing. Um, Mark seven begins with uh, one of the maybe more, uh, I don't know, extreme interactions that Jesus has with the Pharisees mm-hmm. um, yeah. and, and really calling them to the carpet for some of the, 
the inconsistencies and hypocrisies that they have. Um, and I really, really like this section. The, the first 23 verses in Mark 7, there's just so much to learn um, and, and so much that Jesus is trying to point out about how things really work versus how we often think they work and, and things like that. So um, I'm just going to read, I think it'd probably be helpful just to read the whole story from verse mm -hmm. one to verse 23, and then we can go back through and kind of work through and explain it. So Mark seven, verse one says, now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washings of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the, the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But, if, but you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again, and he said, hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. All right, a whole lot, I think, to see and, and unpack in this, but uh, I don't know, do you want to start and maybe talk a little bit about just kind of the beginning of that, the, the interaction that Jesus has with the Pharisees and maybe what's going on there? Yeah, absolutely. What, what we see here is that the that uh, Jesus is under the microscope and the followers of Jesus are under the microscope because the uh, the religious leaders are trying to figure out a way that they can um, complain about Jesus, get him out of the way, make him insignificant, and probably get all the followers of Jesus to become followers of themselves. And so they're they're looking for things to pick at and to to find problems with. And they mention here in verse five, why aren't they following tradition of the elders? They're eating with dirty hands. And what I think is really important to remember is there's nothing wrong with saying, why are why is somebody not following the traditions of the elders? Um, the, most traditions that come down to us have value or were set up uh, set up because there, there was some value. Um, sometimes there's some pretty ugly traditions that get carried on, but, but that's not necessarily going to be the case. And so their question isn't even a bad one, but what Jesus does is he turns it on the head and talks about, uh, you know, 
why aren't you keeping the traditions? And he asked them, well, why aren't you keeping something more important than the mm -hmm. traditions? I don't think the Pharisees wanted to elevate their uh, own traditions uh, too high. They wouldn't consider overthrowing God just for their own traditions. But what Jesus reveals to them is what the, that they had accidentally. Yeah. God forbid that they did it on purpose, but there may have been some that were thinking that way. But at the very least, you know, benefit of the doubt these Pharisees by accident had lifted up their own traditions over that of God. And Jesus is shining a light on that in a very uncomfortable way for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And he specifically mentions kind of two big things. Um, one is the thing that they bring up and, and there are so many different traditions and things that they, that they have kind of elevated to the position of this is more important than than following God's commandments. Um, mm -hmm. But that was kind of their attitude. And the one was what they brought up, the, the hand washing, which, mm -hmm. you know, we, we kind of think about that. Maybe that's a little bit confusing to some people of like, well, what's the big deal? Like, yeah, you should wash your hands before you eat. It's kind of gross not to, um, especially if you've been working or going out and doing the marketplace, touching the grocery carts or whatever. Yeah, wash mm -hmm. your hands. That's not what they're talking about. They're, they're not talking about like hygienic hand washing. This yeah. was kind of a, a more of a traditional kind of mentality of um, we need to be pure. Um, and, and if we ingest something that is impure, then we become impure. Mm -hmm. And, and that was just a wrong way of thinking, which Jesus addresses later on in that section that I read. Um, but they're kind of thinking of it more of kind of like almost a salvation type of thing. Like if you, eat, if you have dirty mm -hmm. hands and you eat something, your soul is tainted. And Jesus well, is saying, that's not, that's not true. That's not how that works. Right. right. And and like you're saying, it's not necessarily about you need to wash the germs away. It's not that they're talking about ceremony yeah. and all the spiritual weight behind ceremony intended or otherwise. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not, well, you, you know, you've been, you've been farming all day. You got dirty hands, wash the dirt off your hands. Um, no, there's this, you've been in town and who knows what kind of person you've bumped up into and all sorts of uh, racism and prejudice can get involved in that and different uh, complaints about uh, uh, about hierarchies and castes in in mm -hmm. in the society and they were ceremonially making themselves better than everyone else around them yeah. and, and and that's what the washing I think is connected to making myself a better person mm -hmm. than others not just making sure I don't eat a germ or two yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And and so Mark kind of gives a little bit of kind of commentary about what that process was. Like in verse four, uh, he says they come from the marketplace. They don't eat unless they wash. There are many other traditions that they observe, like washing cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches, all sorts of things. And there's this extensive um, you can read in the Mishnah actually still there's like a whole chapter dedicated to washing and like how to wash and what can wash and I remember some things vaguely but I won't try to quote it because I don't want to I don't want to misrepresent it but if any of our mm -hmm. listeners you want to go you can find it online and some of it's kind of a little bit ridiculous some of the things that they that they say and do but something similar just to kind of give a, a little bit of an idea of how that mindset kind of worked I do have some excerpts from the Mishnah um, about the Sabbath and some of the traditions that they had surrounding the Sabbath. So this is in Jewish uh -oh. literature. Um, some of the things that they say. I think is you that... froze. I might be the only person here right now. Are you there? Uh, am, am I back now? Yeah, I can okay. see you. I can hear okay, you. here we go. Okay, all right. Sorry. Um, I don't know where I cut off, but you uh... cut off right when you said you have some ceremonial traditions about the Sabbath. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. So we'll start doing that. Um, so here's from Jewish literature. 
about the Sabbath. Okay. Um, so uh, this says, one who intends to carry out an object with the object before him, as in, in front of you, um, and as he is walking, the object came to be carried behind him, he is exempt. However, if he intended to carry it out behind him and it came to be carried before him, he's liable. So you break the Sabbath if you're carrying something behind you and somehow it gets in front of you. But if you're carrying something in front of you and it gets behind you, you don't break the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. um, this one mm -hmm. says one who carries out a large mass of, into the public domain on Shabbat is liable. So if you carry something really big and you're using a lot of energy to carry it, you break the Sabbath. Okay. However, um, if two carried it out together, they are exempt because neither performed a complete prohibited labor. So if you split it, you're not breaking the Sabbath because you're not working totally. You're just doing half the work. Right, How, right. However, if one person is unable to carry it out alone and therefore two people carried it out together, then they are liable. So if it's something that you could carry by yourself, but you get someone else to help you, you haven't broken the Sabbath. But if you can't carry it by yourself and you get someone else to help you, you have broken the Sabbath. However, Rabbi Shimon deems that they are exempt even in that case. <laughs> so some rabbis think that that is exempt. Some rabbis think that it's not exempt, but it's very bureaucratic. Um, yeah. Very much like this person says that, this person says this. You can kind of get a little bit of a feel of like what the traditions were. And they took something of God, a, a, a commandment and a blessing really of God and turned it into their own rule set that promoted like knowledge and wisdom and glory for their own person so the mm -hmm. sabbath was supposed to be a day of rest uh, a real blessing to god's people and they made it actually more work and yeah. they did similar things with you know their washing traditions and also the next thing that jesus brought up as well with the tradition that they had of korban mm -hmm. um and so god's commandment his law was honor your father and your mother right and the jews as well as i can understand made this uh, other kind of way of doing it where honor your father and mother carries with it some financial responsibility, um, especially when your father and mother are starting to get older, need some more help financially and, and things like that. And so mm -hmm. there was a, an out that you had where you could say that all of my possessions are Corban. And Mark explains what that is. In verse 11, he says, if you say whatever I was going to give to my parents now mm -hmm. is Corban, that means it's now given to God. So my possessions I've given to God. And that means that I can't give them to my father and mother anymore. <laughs> so you kind of like verbally assign your, your possessions to a spiritual purpose. And now you're exempt from helping your parents, your needy parents. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And you can, you can see how that works and what Jesus is saying. In verse nine, he says, you have a really fine way of rejecting the commandment of God. <laughs> like, yeah, it sounds really good. It's like, oh no, I've given my stuff to God. But what you're really doing is ignoring God's commandments under the guise of being religious. Yeah. And um, you just think about that. Like, does that sort of thing happen today? Well, I was just thinking about how um, if, if you're rich enough, there are ways of changing the way your income comes in so that you pay lower income tax than the average blue collar worker. It just mm -hmm. seems like the same idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and even kind of in the religious world, I think that same type of thing can happen where maybe we know something that we should be doing, but we really mm -hmm. don't want to do it. And so we think of some good way to make it seem like this is why we're not doing it. It's for a real religious cause, um, because that's a that's effectively what uh, what Jesus is saying. Like, 
yeah, you've got to take care of your parents, but you don't want to for whatever reason. And so you pawn off your responsibility so that you don't have to anymore. Yeah. And I want to just think about that for a second, as far as it goes to like um, giving when Christians giving um, is the responsibility of Christians to be a light in the world and to sh- share the word of God, to be salt and light, um, to glorify God with their works, to teach people the truth and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not enough to just write a check every week or every month or whatever and let the other Christians do that for you. Um, I've heard uh, a thing before that um, that there is a, a real um, bad percentage of where usually in most churches, um, 10% of the church is doing all of the work and the other 90% mm-hmm. is filling the pews. Um, and that can be this kind of mindset of what Jesus is talking about, where you've got your yeah. things that you want to do. You've got your traditions that you want to uphold and you know what God's commandments are, but you want to find a way to try to do as little as possible so yeah. you can keep doing what you want to do. And that's really what Jesus is saying here, that what their problem is, they're, they're rejecting God's word. They're making his word void and upholding their own traditions, their own lifestyle and preserving what they want to do. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, kind of through verse 13. Do you have anything else you want to say about any of that? No, that just a slight, I don't want to get distracted on it. I think it's interesting in when Mark is describing about how they wash, the Jews wash these things. The word there is the same um, word uh, that is uh, transliterated as baptism in other passages. Um, and so baptism nowadays has a very spiritual connotation to it. But it was it was a w- word used then to talk about immersing and washing something, and so um, it, ironically, it is a ceremonial washing that the that the Pharisees are doing there with those cups and dishes. But it's the same word for baptism, and it just means to wash and to immerse in water to clean something. Uh, and it's just a helpful it's yeah. a helpful uh, additional use of that word when we're talking about the topic of baptism. Yeah, yeah, good point. Cool. Okay, um, so. Jesus says that to the Pharisees, pretty scathing um, kind of conversation, calls them hypocrites. He calls them uh, vain worshipers of God. Um, Their heart is far from God, from the prophecy in Isaiah. Um, They reject God's traditions, all this kind of stuff. And he gives a few examples and he ends by saying in verse 13, and you do a lot of things like that. (laughs) Like, that's not it. (laughs) There's there's a lot of things in your life that, that you're doing in that way. And so he kind of piggybacks off of that interaction to teach a really, really important principle um, as far as being a follower of God. So he says in verse 14 and 15, he calls all the people to himself and he says, hear me and understand this. There's nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And then he just kind of leaves it at that. (laughs) And I don't know, like, as I'm kind of like reading through the story, I like to imagine like what's going on. Like, so, so Jesus says, it's not ingesting something that's in danger of making you unclean. It's something that comes out of you that's in danger of making you unclean. Um, and it seems kind of like, okay, yeah, but why are you saying that? <laughs> like, what's, what's the point of that? And mm-hmm. you can be a little bit kind of fuzzy with that. Well, that's where the disciples are kind of at that moment. In verse 16, when Jesus goes into the house, um, verse 16 and 17, he goes into the house. And uh, the disciples are like, 
what did you mean when you said that? <laughs> like, what's, what's the point of why you said that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Jesus goes on to explain it in verse 17 through 23. And so Jesus says, like, what you eat doesn't defile you because it doesn't get come in contact with your heart. It goes into your stomach and then out of your body. Um, but the things that are in your heart, all of these evil thoughts, evil actions, evil desires are what is in danger of hurting you and separating you from God. Not if you washed your hands or not and ate some germs. And that's a really fundamental point that Jesus is making. Uh, His point is that the heart is where all of our thoughts, all of our feelings, all of our words, all of our actions, everything about us originates. And so everything we say, everything we do, even evil thoughts and feelings like envy and pride, all those kinds of things, all of those things come from our heart. And there's nothing that bypasses our heart on the way out. Everything goes through our heart. It's kind of the command center of our life. Um, and that, I think, is really, really important. Jesus makes a lot of those, that same point in a few different places. Um, I'll just read one more just to kind of see that this is a consistent idea. In mm-hmm. John chapter 6, in uh, verse 45, he says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really similar point to what mm-hmm. he was making there. Um, And you can find that in other places in scripture as well. Um, But uh, that's a big idea that your heart is what's wrong when you're doing wrong things. And I I like to make this point whenever I get to this point in Mark 7, to just make it kind of personal and think if that's true, um, that all of our actions, our thoughts, our words are a reflection of what comes out of our hearts, then you think about it personally for yourself. Have you ever done something that, um, I don't know, maybe kind of like surprised you? Uh, so like you, you said something or you did something that's kind of impatient or unkind or maybe even kind of cruel and it surprised you and maybe you thought like, I can't believe that I said that or I can't believe that I did that. That's not like me or uh, I don't know where that came from uh, or something like that. Um, I think Jesus would say, I know exactly where that came from. That came from your heart. Um, There's a reason and there's an origin point of that thing that you just did or you said that you're ashamed of. And the reason is because deep down inside, your heart's not right. Um, Or, uh, or, you know, uh, if you've ever, you know, made a mistake in saying something or doing something that you're trying not to, and you're trying to make it up to the person that you wronged. And you say, I I know I did this or I said that, but like, you know, my heart, right? Like, you know, like my heart's in the right place. You know, I'm sorry that I did that thing, but you know, my heart, like people will say that sometimes. Um, the, the truth is that person probably knows your heart better now than maybe they ever did. (laughs) Exactly. Um, because your, your actions and your words are a reflection of your heart. Um, and, um, you know, we can try to self-justify the things that we do. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, what, what we say and what comes out of our mouths is a reflection of what's inside of us. And Jesus goes on to use that teaching to explain. So you need to clean up the inside first it doesn't matter about the outside of what's being cleaned or how clean the stuff going inside of you is if what's inside is dirty and messed up bad things are going to come outside Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and man that really like that really stares you in the face because that leaves you with no excuse for your actions and what you've done uh it's on you and that's jesus's whole point right right 
what we have here is uh, a moment where the Pharisees and the scribes are looking for a way to bring somebody down. And they find something and they find a way of using that to bring somebody else down. And so they're picking at these, these, these very specific ideas. And it's similar to when Jesus is talking about tithing dill, mint, and cumin, but neglecting the weightier matters of the law. Jesus is saying these little things don't make um, he, he says here in this in these verses, they literally make no difference. Um, eating with dirty hands has no connection to your soul. Uh, and what does have a connection to your soul are uh, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Those are the vices that we can all do by ourselves on our own, even more easily now with the internet. Mm -hmm. uh, we are able to indulge in these things and then come outside and have ceremonial hand washings or whatever the modern ceremony might be in a church that we go to and have this outward show that we are holy and that we are good. And the whole while, we are not working on the problems that are absolutely there at the center and the core of our heart. And Jesus is calling, honestly, he's not even calling the Pharisees on that because he's calling his people and talking to them. And the Pharisees, why he doesn't say this to the Pharisees, my guess is because they won't listen. And so he's calling the people who will listen to this. Uh, and this is the more important lesson, right? Uh, verses 1 through 13 are really important. It's a very powerful moment. But if you don't accept verses 1 through 13, you'll never accept 14 through 23. And 14 through 23 is the more important lesson. Mm -hmm. And I think what's really interesting is that right in the middle of this, Mark gives us a very confusing little moment. Thus, he calls all foods clean. Like, oh my, like out of nowhere. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's, this, it's this curious little idea here. Where and I, and I see that there there's been a comment where someone was asking about whether or not these were from unclean or clean animals. It's it's almost like Jesus is letting us know that clean and unclean made makes no difference, and Mark is letting us know, you know, that that that's absolutely the case. Mm -hmm. So culturally, I think we can tell from the context that the washings that Mark describes that the Pharisees were interested in, in verses one through five, that that washing was not, um, and I'm not an expert on the Old Testament law. I don't know the ins and outs very well, but from what I can tell, verses one through five, the washings in those verses were not the original um, washings of the law. They were supplemental. They would most likely help except at this point, they're more hurting than they are helpful. Mm -hmm. Maybe they started out to be a helpful additional washing, yeah. but these are not the law um, uh, washings. And even if they were, Jesus is letting us know that food doesn't make a difference. Peter finds that out very clearly with Jesus uh, in the book of Acts when he receives a vision of the Lord. And Mark makes it very clear in his commentary here, food doesn't make a difference. Mm -hmm. What makes a difference is me. Mm -hmm. um, it's, I can't blame it on my environment. I can't blame it on my parents. I can't blame it on my job or the fact that I've lost my job. My problems with sin are my problems with sin. 
Yeah. And yeah, we're going to be influenced. Um, you know, if you grow up in a bad household, you're, you're going to have a, some complicated things. If you lose your job, you're going to have some complicated things to work with. But I, you were stressing this, Jonathan, and I think it gets really right back down to it. Our sin comes from our desires in our heart. And I need to work on that with God. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. that, that's what he's really hammering home. Yeah. Yeah. And so we'll just hit on this. You hit on this a little bit. There's a question from Adam. Uh, he said, is he talking about the spirit of the law versus the letter? I asked this because of the food part could be legitimate based on the unclean animals, just a thought off the cuff, but I could be missing the point. Yeah, I, I don't think that Jesus is really talking about that in that way, um, because he just says that you're rejecting the commandments of God. Um, so he's, he's concerned with the law of God. Jesus is a person that followed the law of God, and he's saying, you Pharisees are not, you are mm -hmm. not following the law of God. You're following your traditions. And so I don't think that the Pharisees watching like what Dan said had really anything to do with unclean animals or clean animals. It had to do with, they were trying to establish their own holiness and way of, of being pure outside of God's law. But that's a good question. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I'm not, I don't think that that's what Jesus is trying to do here. And, and even so the, the phrase weaponizing, that's pretty hot, a hot vocabulary word today but i think i think it has some neat uses um they used this um ceremony of washing as a weapon to destroy other people and that's what they're doing in this chapter they're going to destroy jesus they're going to destroy his disciples they're going to discredit that so that they can win um, they're not trying to win hearts they're not trying to help teach they're not trying to bless they're trying to hurt people with washings or mm -hmm. accusations of washings and jesus is just saying take a look at your heart think about what's on the inside. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you think about that, like, that's a huge principle. And then we could talk for a long time about trying to figure those things out because I mean, there are all kinds of times like that can be really confusing. Um, getting to, to know our hearts. There's a, there's a passage in, um, in Jeremiah. Let's see if I can find it really quickly. Jeremiah 17. Yeah. Jeremiah 17. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 says, the heart is desperately sick above all things uh, and is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? Um, and I think that's absolutely right. When you start to look into your heart and try to figure out your heart, it can be a really confusing place. <laughs> um, there's all kinds of emotions and all kinds of charged things that are in there that are influencing you in one direction or another. You, you get mad and you don't know why you're upset. You can't figure it out. You're discontent and you don't know, you don't know why you're discontent. You're resentful of someone, even when they haven't really done anything to deserve it. Uh, you're jealous of something all the time, knowing that it's not good to be jealous of something. And it's like, it's kind of this war within yourself and your heart. And it's yeah. hard to, to weigh those things and to figure that, that sort of thing out. But the next verse in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Um, and then there's another passage that goes along with that in Hebrews 4. Um, Hebrews 4 and verse 12 uh, says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing mm -hmm. the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Um, as we kind of go, you know, trying to make sense of our hearts and weed out the bad things in our hearts, like what Jesus says we need to do, and, and really purify our hearts, um, God's word and God are the way of doing that. Amen. Um, 
And, you know, I really like Hebrews 4 verse 12 because it lists kind of a lot of really impressive qualities about God's word. It's, it's living and it's active. Um, so, you know, it's not stale. It's not out of date. It's, it's constantly renewed. Uh, it's really sharp. It's able to pierce between all these things. Like, uh, you know, it says between soul and spirit. I'm not exactly sure what that means. Like, what's the right. difference? What's the difference between soul and spirit? Well, I don't know, but God's, right. God's word can divide that, yeah. you know, however that works. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, it, it can separate cleanly these inseparable things that are wrapped together. And then the last thing that he says that God's word can do in that list of impressive qualities is it can discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Mm-hmm. It, it knows why and what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, you're reading through that big list of things that it's, it's, it's brand new, it's living and active, it's sharp, it divides soul and spirit, and then it tells you what your heart and thoughts are. Um, you know, why is that in an impressive list of qualities of God's word? Um, I heard someone say once, like, you know, if I, if I told you that, you know, the word of God uh, can discern the difference between a red light and a green light. Um, well, that's not really impressive because all of us can do that. <laughs> you know, like yeah. everyone, everyone can do that if you're not colorblind. Um, but God's word can judge our hearts. And that's an impressive quality because that shows us that our thoughts and our intentions of our heart are difficult to discern. They're, they're difficult to judge. They're difficult to figure out and to bring into light and to mold and shape into purity, like what God wants us to be. But this verse also tells us that God is able to do that. And mm-hmm. if, I, if I need help, and by the way, I do need help in discerning my heart and cleaning my heart up, the word of God can assist me in doing that and really help in doing that. And James talks about the same idea in like James chapter one. God's word is compared to like a mirror that we look in and we can see ourselves. You, 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 you see who you are. You see the imperfections. You see everything. And you can foolishly walk away and forget about them. Or you can use the mirror for what it was made to do to help you get the imperfections off and, and clean yourself up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, man, I could talk for you could talk for a long time about the principles in Mark 7. And you could just go through that list of things because like the list of things that Jesus says come out of your heart. Like all of us have experienced them in some point, you know, evil thoughts, wickedness, uh, deceit, pride, all those things that like, you know, are wrong, but you do them anyway. Well, why do you do that? Well, God's word can help show you why you do that and help eradicate it from your Mm -hmm. life. That's, that's why he gave it to us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the, the list of sins is so powerful because the, the, the list that Jesus makes here, I think it's a very important part of his lesson, because if he didn't include that list, it would be, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, we, you know, I, I might, you know, what, what I might think about it is a big deal, and I should be careful about that. And then he lists very normal things uh, that people think about and engage in, uh, coveting and wickedness, which is just open-ended, right? Pride, uh, envy sensuality. Sensuality might not mean that you're uh, consummating your desire, but you're living in that hunger and in that lust. Uh, Foolishness. These are the things that that normal people engage in and and fight the temptation to step into. They're very, when I say normal, that doesn't mean they're okay. I mean, these are common to man. That's the idea. And uh, when Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount that we should not be the jerk that's trying to take the speck out of somebody else's eye while we have a plank falling out of our face. Well, washing with unclean hands, even if it mattered, 
The reality is that the uncleanliness in the Old Testament was not even equated with sin. Um, it was about how can we be pure and how can we be cleaner and how can we be in, in a right state? And there were, there were very normal ways that good people would become unclean in their day-to-day -day lives. And it wasn't a sin. It just meant that they were unclean and they had to go through a ritual to clean that off. But there is no, uh, there is no state in which living with sensuality and living a life of foolishness and pride there's no way that that can be good. It's always evil. It's always wickedness. When you're reading through the Proverbs, um, the, the things that God hates, well, the haughty eyes and the pride, they're listed in there two times. And so you get this sense that the, the, uh, this, this desire to pick at people and to pull people down in order to make myself big or to to put the judgment onto others so that I do not feel myself judged mm -hmm. is this backwards way of living. And it, and it creates, it harms the persons that we're uh, using to our advantage to lift ourselves up. And it robs us of the opportunity for God's grace to come in and, and purge out that ugliness. Yeah. Um, we need God's grace to come in and clean out that sensuality and clean out that foolishness. But if we just try to um, pull a long sleeve shirt over a big open wound on our arm, uh, then that, that it, it's going to fester and the sore is going to get worse with, with, uh, with, with infections. We need to purge that out. And it hurts to put the rubbing alcohol on that to, to clean out the, that wound. But that's what we need. We need the grace of God to come in and clean us out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that's maybe a lost art of people is self-examination and testing ourselves. And, um, and the reason why is because, you know, sometimes um, when, when we're really getting into our hearts, it'll be unpleasant. Um, yeah. We're going we're gonna to find some things that we don't like about ourselves. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, you, you'll look inside and see some things that maybe you're surprised to find in there. Um, and, mm. uh, and one of the things that Satan does, I think, is try to promote secrecy uh, yeah. about those. Um, secrecy is one of the greatest allies to heart problems, um, because if they're just left on their own, they'll grow in their power and their influence and consume us. Um, but if we find them and attack them head on with God's word, God's word can help us to overcome those and keep our hearts pure and, and cleansed. Um, but it's going to be a painful process. You're going to have to do some digging. You're going to have to do some, some spiritual heart surgery. Yeah. Um, and that's not fun. <laughs> you know, when people talk about getting heart surgery, they're not excited about getting heart surgery, but they get yeah. it, they get it anyway, because they know they need it. Yeah. Um, and that's the same thing with our, with our spiritual hearts that we, it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be easy, but you need it uh, to have a healthy heart and a healthy life. So, yeah, Absolutely. I mean, that was a good discussion. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for thanks for going through that with me. I really like Mark seven, um, especially that. I I told Dan jokingly, I like Mark seven at least the first half. Uh, <laughs> I don't like the second half. No, I'm just kidding. Second half has some good stuff in it too. So we'll we'll get to that in some of our future shows when we keep going with Gospel of Mark. Um, but we'll uh, we'll wrap up right there. Be ready for verse 24 next time. So thank you to our audience for tuning in with us today. If you have any questions or other thoughts about this section. And Mark, or anything else that you'd like us to discuss on our show, you can visit our website, BibleQuest.tv, 
and we'll be happy to get to your questions in our future shows. But that's all we have for this week. And so we'll plan on seeing everyone next week, Lord willing.